0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast, brought to you by discipleship.org. Today we're going to be listening to Disciple First, giving their track sessions from last year's forum. We've got Craig Etheridge and Glenn Underhill. They're exploring the leadership pipeline and how it can be used to raise up disciple-making leaders to multiply the ministry at every level in your church. You know, we want to raise up leaders that don't have that superstar syndrome, but rather multiply themselves where their role in the church doesn't completely depend on them. They point out how this is actually the type of growth that we need in our churches, not just the overnight big numbers, but members with longevity that are constantly pouring into the lives of others. That's disciple Making 101. All right, let's jump in here from Craig and Glenn from Disciple First. Here we go. All right, well, good morning.
1: Everybody uh, rest well last night? Yeah, you sound so eager and excited. and uh, we're, we're, You are uh, the tip of the spear right here, 8 o'clock. You're here, you're early, you're on time. So we want to say thank you for uh, taking some time to be with us. Let me just introduce myself really quickly and our organization. My name is Glenn Underhill. Uh, I serve as executive director for Disciple First. Uh, we are a ministry that's committed to working alongside the local church to help empower ministry leaders to live as a disciple maker, to lead a disciple ministry, and then to leverage their influence to ignite movements of multiplication. And so we love doing that. Really, our core conviction is that Jesus is the model for life and for ministry, and so... Everything that we do is viewed and taken through the lens of how is Jesus doing it uh, and what can we do to replicate that same uh, that same uh, condition uh, within the local church. And so uh, I get to do this with uh, one of my best friends in the whole world. His name is Craig Etheridge. Uh, we actually are practitioners in the local church. We're both on church staff. Uh, he's our senior pastor. I'm the executive pastor of spiritual development uh, in a church in the Fort Worth area. So uh, we we love to train, but we also love the local church. We believe that the local church is the vehicle that God's chosen to uh, make disciples who make disciples. So uh, we're glad you're here. We're working on this this premise of the uh, the idea of the, the, the disciple-making leader, right? And so what does that look like? Yesterday, we kind of uh, establish this whole idea that there needs to be a new kind of leader uh, and so we spent a little bit of time talking about that and now we're really going to kind of dive into some of the real practical pieces of that over the next, our next several sessions and what does it look like, we're going to pull up the hood and take some time to really dive into some practical things, so again, we're glad that you're here, we hope that you have a great experience uh, we will, uh, at the end uh, make some other, uh, other pieces that you can know about a little bit about what we can do to help thinking about this. So again we're glad that you're here and so Craig come on up and uh, we'll get started. All right thank you brother Glenn.
2: Uh, all the stuff that we're all the content that we're giving you today is in this book making Leader and so uh, we're just giving you kind of Samples of all that. Obviously, I can't put everything into uh, a few sessions, but uh, that's where the content's coming from. Uh, all right. So great. So yesterday, uh, our main session, we just tried to kind of give you a, a premise that uh, there's a superstar syndrome, uh, which means you know I'm, I'm the secret sauce, you know, and everybody kind of serves uh, to. to to undergird and support this, this superstar. And I, and I talked about why that's uh, dangerous, right? And it actually, it's very limiting, right? Because the superstar, sit, you know, you're, you're completely dependent on the superstar to carry the day and not multiplying other leaders. And what we really need is to shift gears and say, what well, we need more disciple making leaders, leaders that multiply into more and more people and that ignite a movement of multiplication um uh, through uh, investment right and so I gave you this illustration of Wesley and Whitfield and Whitfield uh, lived for the moment but Wesley built a movement right and so uh, just that's the big picture that's really what we're going after how do we build those kind of people so what I'm going to do now in this session we're going to cover uh, I'm I, this is what I'm content I'm giving you today. I'm going to move really fast because it's about like three or four chapters of the book, so I'm kind of I'm kind of skipping through. Okay, so in order to in order to uh, uh, build this, we remember we said Jesus was both a disciple maker and he was also a movement builder. He did both. All right, Jesus made disciples, but he also. Was working to build a movement, and so we have to really do both. We have to think about how do we make disciples in our church, but also how do we build a movement of multiplying leaders. We got we got to work on both. It's not a either or; it's a both and. And we have to do that, you know, simultaneously together. And uh, it's a lot of hard work. It's arduous work. I mean, uh, think about it. Jesus had uh, 120, you know, at the end of three and a half years or so, but those 120 did a pretty good job, don't you think, uh, of multiplying. And so it's going to be hard work and slow work at the beginning. Um, a lot of pastors will say, man, I just need, I need a silver bullet, man. I need something I need something to jack up my attendance, uh, you know, next week. Can you do that? Well, this is not the program, all right? Uh, but if you're looking at three years from now, a uh, movement happening, this is exactly what you want, all right? So you've got to slowly uh, begin to work on that. So what I want to do is kind of show you two different elements that help you build disciples and uh, build a movement, all right? So the first one is what I'm going to introduce to you today is what we call the disciple Uh, Ship pathway or disciple making pathway. Okay. Over the last 25 years, it's just been a joy of mine to, um, to lead a church and multiple churches to embrace a disciple making pathway. If you don't have a disciple making pathway in your church, this would be the first step for you to work on. Uh, And all this really comes right out of Matthew 28. So let's just look at this together. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I like the version, behold. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, so Great Commission, let me just highlight some words for you. you circle in your mind the word go? Uh, this is where the uh, disciple-making pathway starts. It starts with people that are exploring the claims of Christ. They do not know the Lord yet. They're one, they need answers to their spiritual questions. And so this is where Jesus started off. Going means going to people that do not uh, know the gospel, don't know Christ. All right. So engaging these kind of explorers is the very first thing. It's the first step. It's evangelism. Jesus said in Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, he was called a friend of sinners, right? That was a badge of honor for him. In Luke 19, 10, he said he was sent to seek and to save those who were lost. In John 20, 21, Jesus said, just as the Father sent me, I am sending you. So the first step, if you think about a pathway, the first step would be engaging people that are exploring the claim to Christ. They're not believers yet, and you're having these spiritual conversations, right? The second step in this pathway would be connecting new believers. Once they have trusted Christ, you've got to connect them in the church, and that's where he talks here about baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is all about identity and inclusion, right? I'm identifying with Christ publicly. I'm being included into the body of Christ. That's why, you know, in our church when we baptize people, everybody cheers and celebrates, you know, uh, and and it's all about celebrating this decision and in in a kind of a verbal way, including them, hey, you're part of us now. You're part of this family. and We really work hard to do that. So we want to start off by helping explorers connect with gospel. We want to include them through baptism into the life of the church and begin to nurture them and grow them in the faith. The next step is this teaching them to observe, right? Teaching them to observe. Uh, Some versions say teaching them to obey, right? So now this this is now the training, equipping piece. So once a person has come to Christ, they're now included in the body, they're starting to grow. Now we want to, we want to, this is where we, a lot of people think this is where the discipleship happens, right? Uh, actually, disciple-making is the whole process from evangelism to including them in the body to training them, not just the training piece, but this training equipping piece is really important. And this is where you're training them to do what? To obey, to observe, right? A uh, lot, lot of people, they'll take that phrase, teaching them to obey, and it's all about the teaching, Right? And so we teach, 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 teach. But we teach a lot of stuff nobody does, right? How many times you go, man, I'm preaching on, man, when I was a young pastor, I looked I, I, up, I said, you know what? I'm so convicted about prayer. I'm going to preach on prayer until we become a praying church. That sounded so good. After about 12 sermons on prayer, I don't know that they, anybody was praying anymore. I didn't have any plan for that. I had no way to measure that. I had no metric for that. And I just kind of quit and moved on to Romans or something. I don't know where, where I moved to. But we've got to teach them to obey and observe what Jesus has told us to do. How to walk with God. How to reach your world. How to invest in a few. That's the things that happen in this training element. And then the last phase of your pathway um, is multiplication. He says, "Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded." Well, the command of this passage is make disciples. Go make disciples. That's the verb. That is the divine imperative. So, teaching them to observe everything would certainly include making disciples, right? So, you engage explorers, you connect uh, new believers, you grow disciples, and then you multiply them into other disciples. That's a that's a leadership pathway. Now. Uh, you can look at this little graph and you kind of see what that looks like. Explore, connect, grow, multiply. This is actually the the pathway that we use in our church. Um, What's a cool thing about this, and I really really wish I had more time to to do this with you. Um, If you were to overlay the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry on top of that grid, I could show you how for the first 18 months he was in the Explore phase. I could show you the key uh, pivot point that led you into the connect phase. What did he do in the connect phase? I could show you the key pivot point that led you into the grow phase and, and how he did that. What was he doing in that process? And then the last uh, nine months, what he did in the multiply phase, the went from 12 to 72 to, to those beyond that to the fourth generation. It's just so cool uh, to see that this really was the way Jesus did his ministry. It really was the pathway that he brought his disciples on. Um, so, so this pathway is super important uh, to establish. Now, let me tell you why having a, a disciple-making pathway is important for your church. Okay? Uh, number one, when you clearly mark out uh, this roadmap for your people, uh, it helps them to know what their next step is. You know, most of our churches are like a menu. Like you go to a restaurant, well, I'll take a little of that, take a little of that, take a little of that. But what we need to be providing them for them is a map. Uh, This is where you are. This is your next step. And this is where that's going to lead. Okay. And so we're working really hard, even currently at our church, of figuring out how do we assess where our folks are individually on this pathway? How do we help clarify what their next step is? How do we make sure that all of our programming is aligned to that? Uh, so that we're all moving in the same direction. So it it establishes your church on the priority of making disciples. Uh, It also aligns your program. You can evaluate every ministry you do. Is it explore? Is it connect? Is it grow? Is it multiply? Then is it working in every one of those stages? It really gives you um, an evaluative tool for what you're doing. And are you moving people through the process? Success is moving people through the process, right? Right. That's what success is. Um, a good friend of ours, Dan Spader, did a, uh, a study of 100 churches and asked them to plot uh, their programming in one of each category. He said, what's the primary purpose of this event? You know, whether it's a men's breakfast or it's a Sunday night service or a prayer meeting or whatever, just plot what's the primary purpose. Is it primary purpose to explore, engaging explorers? Is it to connect believers? Is it to... Uh, grow and and train and equip leaders to multiply? And then is it multiplication? Which one is it? What he said is that um, out of 100 churches, 87 of those churches had all of their programming in the connect phase. All of it. I I think that that's probably spot on. There are most churches, you know, every Bible study, Every men's breakfast, every worship service is about building the believer with very little to really engage lost people, very little to train people to multiply and very little multiplication happening at all. And and if that's the case, if you don't have anything new coming in and you don't have any multiplication going out, what you have is what? Stagnant, stagnant pool. Right, there are two bodies of water in Israel: the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Right, the Sea of Galilee's got water flowing in and water flowing out. It's a place of healing. It's palm trees. It's cool. People ski on it. I mean, it's it's awesome. Uh, dead Sea doesn't. It just terminates and everything is dead. And um, so, which one is your church like? Right. So, this is really important that we. Um, Establish a disciple making pathway. So much more we could say about that, uh, but we're going to have to just kind of hit it and, and roll uh, this morning. Okay? All right. So, disciple uh, making pathway. Uh, so, now, not only do you need a disciple making pathway that helps you make disciples, but you also need a leadership pipeline. And a leadership pipeline is how you raise up leaders. It's how you build leaders, right? Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this book, Leadership Pipeline. This was put out by Ram Sharon and Steve Drotter, Jim Noel, uh, back in <laughs> 20, uh, 2001, I believe. It, it became quite the hit in the secular uh, business market for a long, long time. Uh, I've actually plowed through that book. It's it, you know, it's really written for like international big companies. Uh, but fascinating information about how businesses develop leaders at every level of their organization. Um, about 15 years later, uh, churches started getting a hold of this and saying, well, maybe we could learn something about how we should be raising up leaders uh, within uh, our churches. And so I think it's been very, very helpful uh, basically, uh, there's also been other great where Mac Lake and other guys like this have really uh, done a good job, kind of translating that content into uh, church language and how we do this as a church. Uh, but uh, what I'm going to propose to you is basically five stages of leadership within a congregation. Now, uh, if you're in a super big church, you may need seven, right? <laughs> or a, Uh, If you're a smaller church, you'll probably still use these five, but they may not all be paid staff. You know, I mean, they may be all volunteers, you know, but I I think even in a church plant, you could probably identify people in one of these five categories. We work with a ton of church plants and we find that they have these same layers, even even in a small upstart church plant. So um, let me just give them to you real quickly. The first one is... A leader of self, all right. So this would be the just the the, the volunteer. This is your rank and file person that uh, you know he's just leading himself. He doesn't have anybody to lead. He's just volunteering, participating uh, in your area of ministry. Uh, this is the majority of people who are probably going to be here. Okay. Uh, secondly, would be a leader of a team. This would be a volunteer that that is given an assignment to lead a team maybe a coffee team or a greeting team or it could be a preschool team but a team would be anywhere from five to 50 people uh, that they're leading uh, to accomplish a ministry task okay so the team is focused on accomplishing ministry task. Um, next would be the leader of leaders if you have multiple teams then you need somebody that's kind of overseeing those multiple teams so you may have somebody that oversees the coffee team, the greeter team and the usher team, right? And so that person is kind of working in that kind of visitor guest services kind of area, but they may have multiple teams that they're working with. Um, So this would be a leader of leaders. What this person is doing is working with the the team leads to be sure that they are, uh, they're meeting their ministry tasks, they're nurturing their people and so on. Um, then you have what we would call a leader of a department. A leader of a department would be uh, a larger area of ministry that maybe has multiple teams underneath it, like a student ministry. You probably have in your student ministry multiple uh, team leads, like you've got a seventh grade boys leader, a seventh grade girls leader. You know, you've got all these. Team leaders, and then you may have somebody kind of overseeing maybe just the uh, middle school and high school leaders underneath them, and then you would have a department that's the youth pastor that oversees all of that area, uh, or the kids pastor oversees all that area, or uh, adult pastor, whatever. However, you're organized, worship pastor. Um, uh, these are these are some common departmental leaders. Okay, and then the last would be the leader of the organization. This may be your senior pastors, senior leaders. You may be an executive leader uh, in that area. You're overseeing multiple department leaders. So you're over the kids, students, and and adults. That's what Glenn does. He's he's over all those and then all the teams underneath them. Um, so these would be leaders of the organization. Could be obviously the senior pastor. Uh, you may, in your structure, you may have elders there, you know, or you may have, uh, other board type organizations, I'm not sure, but uh, all that would be in the leader uh, leader of the organization, okay? And so uh, the, the trick here is to be sure that you have two things. Uh, one, that, that you define the key skills needed at each level to be successful. So what's needed for a volunteer for them to be successful in this role? What's needed for the team lead to be successful? What skills do they need uh, that we need to train them in to help them be successful. And then secondly, we need to clarify the commitment required at each level. You, as you move up, you know, your commitment is going to increase, right? Volunteer doesn't have that much commitment other than showing up, but if you're a leader of department, that's a lot of commitment and a lot of responsibility. And so clarifying these things are, are super important. And of course, in the book, I go into a lot more detail about how to do that. But In this process, you are, once you kind of have an idea of your leadership pipeline, you can then recruit to that. You can assess, uh, is this person a good fit for this role? Uh, You can prepare them. You can do some training for them. And then you can support them ongoing. Um, So we call that RAP. I call that an acronym for RAPS. I turn everything into an acronym. Uh, So it's a disease, and I know I'm working on it. Uh, But... uh, RAPS recruit assess prepare and support and you really need to do that at every one of these
3: levels who well, is it that you have doing the evaluation before someone would move up level?
2: yeah so that's a really good great question so the 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 person above is is the first person we're talking to right So if you've got a volunteer and coffee team and you've got a leader there and that leader's doing a good job
3: working with them, you say, hey, this person really should be moving up and taking on another, uh, taking
2: my role or or, or multiplying my role out. And so we always look at the person right above them is the first person that we look at who's ready, all right? But then you've got guys above them too that are also saying, hey, we need to multiply our people." And so like, for example, when we make uh, even a hire situation, um, let's say you have a youth pastor, he's a departmental leader. He wants to hire uh, an associate, right? That's maybe a leader of leaders. Well, that student, that youth pastor is going to make evaluations, but also the leader of the organization
3: above him is also going to do that. So you have two steps up to make a decision uh, on hires, you know, moving forward. Does that make sense? It does. Now, what about the person who kind of gets into their sweet spot, and how can you evaluate that to realize how much high as God's gifted them to go? Have you ever had any situation? Oh yeah, on someone up, you have to have time to put them back.
2: Yeah, that's hard. I mean, we've we've had to ask people to step down, and you know, group leaders that you know, kind of, we too quickly put them into a role. Uh, what I found is that if we do
3: a good job
2: developing these people at the stage that they're in, you don't make as many of those mistakes. When you don't develop them well, and, you, and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, we got to have a, a leader, you know, and so well, let's just put this guy up there. You know, nine times out of ten, we're like, oh. To be honest with you, we've we got some people, uh, Glenn, Glenn could probably call him an we got some people right up like, oh man, what were we thinking when we put that person there? Because it just wasn't a good fit. And so I think we just have to, um, we have to work hard at developing. And that's really what we're going to dive into after this session. How did Jesus develop uh, team leads? I'm going I'm to show you uh, four things Jesus did to develop team leaders. I'm going to show you uh, what, how to develop leaders of leaders, how to develop the department of leaders. The last session we'll do is... One of my favorites on departmental leaders, how you develop a uh, student pastor, worship pastor, departmental leader, and what are the specific challenges that you face in that. And I'm going to, in fact, I'll give you six deadly sins of a departmental leader. Uh, that's in the last session. Anyway, that's a little teaser if you stay with me, you know. But, uh, yeah. I was going to ask about the distinction
4: between the leader of department and leader of leaders. Does those seem very, very
3: similar, just depending on...
2: Uh, leaders, uh, uh, leader of yes, yes. right. You know yes. so the question was, what's the difference between a leader of a department and a leader of leaders? That's a great, great question. I will tell you this, uh, and I, I flesh this out in the book. I think the leader of leaders is kind of that missing layer that a lot of churches have, because what happens is you become a youth pastor, and let's say you've got some group leaders that you're leading, right? And what happens is that student pastor can just stay there and they're kind of only ministering to those leaders. And instead of raising one of those guys up to do that so that, that student pastor, they can think higher and larger in the organization, they just kind of settle into leading leaders because they get a lot of strokes for that. And, and so many times what keeps a church smaller is that you have departmental leaders that are acting like leaders of leaders. But the leader of leader would be someone that coordinates multiple teams, right? And so you might have um, you might have in student, I'm using student ministry as an example, you might have a leader of seventh grade girls group, a leader of an eighth grade girls group, a leader of ninth grade girls group, a leader of 10th grade girls group. But you may have one person that is kind of coordinating all those together and working with those leaders and making sure they're cared for and taken care of and that kind of thing that report to the student pastor, right? And so I think, honestly, you can emerge a leader of leader role sooner than you think. But a lot of times, the department leaders don't do that. And I'm going to get to that in the last session, why that is and how, how we can do that better. Yeah? Can
3: you just quickly repeating your acronym?
2: Yeah, uh, RAPS, R-A-P-S, Recruit, Assess, Prepare, and Support. You have to do that at every level. How do I recruit someone for this role? How do I assess if they're a good fit for it? How do I prepare them so that they're successful? Craig, I don't want to do this of
3: integrating this, the leadership pipeline, into the disciple-making process as it relates to... Yeah. Hang with me. I'm just about to do that. Let's
2: go. <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, this is... Uh, Again, super important in building a movement, right? You've got to raise up leaders um, in this process. And Jesus did both. You're going to find that Jesus did both really, really well. So let's talk about synergy. I'm glad you mentioned that. Let's talk about synergy, how these things work together. When you put the pathway and the pipeline together, you find a way where they, they actually work in synergy to uh to accomplish more, right? Uh, synergy, the Oxford Dictionary says, is extra, the extra energy power success that is achieved by two or more people, companies, or elements working together. And I really think that I, for the longest time, I only focused on the pathway, just only on the pathway. And we really did not do the work of of raising leaders up through the organization very well. Uh, now what we've learned is the pathway is the first thing you should work on because if you're not making disciples, you certainly don't want to raise those folks up into leadership. So I would start there, but then after you get that pathway clarified for your church and they know what it is and how you're evaluating, then I would add this pipeline piece and say, okay, now how do I raise up leaders in this? And so uh, what I'm showing you here is what we would call the, the uh, optimal trajectory of a leader, a disciple-making leader, okay? This is the optimal trajectory. Now, let me, let me explain this. Uh, this person, uh, as they move down the pathway, they then are elevated up in the organization. Let me say that again. As they're moving down the pathway, they're moving up the organization. For example, let's say a guy is an explorer. He's not a believer yet. Can he participate in any part of your church? Well, yeah, he could volunteer probably. He could probably hand out programs. He could help set up chairs. You know, he could uh, make the coffee, you know, something like that. In fact, that may be a really good thing for him is to just already just be, hey, man, can you help me do this? Sure, man, I can do that. So he would, uh, if you were to connect these two, he could go up about as high as that, where that line is, of a leader of self. He could be a volunteer. Now, let's say this person comes to faith in Jesus. Praise God. He's been volunteering. You're having spiritual conversation with this guy. Praise receive Christ. You know, uh, and so we're super thrilled. So now he's he's now getting connected. He's been baptized. He's now in a group. He's got other, he's starting to read his Bible and starting to grow. And so, you know what? He could actually uh, move up this pipeline by say, hey, you know, you've been growing so well and you know, you've been helping me do the coffee. You know, like, you think you can maybe... Lead this team of people to do coffee. Oh, well, yeah, man, I, I can do that. And so he's actually could rise up, you know, if it was gifted and wanted to and so on, to even to the level of being a team leader. But let's say now that he's really connected well, he's growing in his faith, he's reading the scripture, and now he somebody invites him into a D group or whatever you call it, you know, we call it group group in our church, and, and, and he really starts to be disciples. And this guy is, man, he's memorizing scripture. He's learning how to share his faith. He's learning how to feed himself spiritually. Um, uh, he's got a vision for the world. I mean, he's just, he's really growing in his faith. It, since he's now been a disciple, he, he could actually lead multiple leaders if he had capacity and desire to do so. But spiritually, he's in a good spot for that because he's really leading now these other leaders by example, not just of what to do in the job, but also... Uh, just how to walk with God. You know, he's kind of setting an example. He's leading by example in that way. And then, man, let's say he starts multiplying himself. I mean, he starts discipling other people and multiplying himself by discipling some that disciple others and disciple others. Man, now he's really setting the pace for what you'd want for every person uh, to be. And so he could emerge at that point up to even a departmental or even one day, even a senior leader. Right, Because he's a proven disciple maker. Now, when he goes through this process, he's going down the pathway. As he's going down the pathway, he has opportunity to rise up the pipeline. At the, the, where he ends up is right there where that L1 is. And that L1 is a disciple making leader. He is leading, but he is leading with the, the values and the practices of being a disciple maker. Does that make sense? He, he's, he's, he's a person that you would want uh, others to follow because he's leading by example. He's walking with God, he's investing in others, and then he's leading out of the overflow of that, which is basically our definition of a disciple-making leader. Zach is uh, one of our executive leaders at our church. He oversees all of our operations. He's a pastor of operations. So he has multiple departments under him. He oversees all our communications, facilities, finances, all of that. Uh, so I want you to tell your story, um, a little bit about how you went down the pathway and how you emerged up the pipeline. Could you step out of the corporate world into the, into the role you have? Yeah,
4: So Absolutely. thank you. So uh, kind of weird watching your life on the screen, but um, in the connect phase is where Glenn picked me up. So Glenn started to stop me in 2008 he made an ask. He saw me after church one Sunday and said, hey, I'm going to get a couple of guys together on Thursday night in my house. We're going to read the scripture. We're going to pray. We're going to memorize some stuff, hold each other accountable. said something you'd like to be a part of. And so uh, he, at that point in time, took me out of the connect phase. On my end, I was sitting there as a dad, had a three-year-old and a one-year-old and a wife that I probably wasn't leading very well spiritually and knew that I needed to make some changes. And so that ask kind of propelled me into this movement so i was at the church serving in some capacity i don't even remember what i was doing but um as glenn began to disciple me uh i began to grow right god began to do a work in my life and then i started to um, be on a leadership team within our connect groups or so sunday morning groups sort of taking a leadership responsibility there and that ended up flourishing into the point where uh, glenn actually asked me to step on and be a coach and so I began to coach multiple connect groups on what we were doing and the success we were having in growing and multiplying groups. Um, then, uh, so my, my son's football team will break. So they have a, a code. They talk about certain things, DNA, that they are part of the traits for them. One of them is tough. And their mantra for that is, we're comfortable being uncomfortable. And this is where I, I met Glenn. So Glenn is my prodding stick in that regard. So Glenn ends up saying, hey, I've discipled you. Now let's turn you loose. We're going to take you to Africa. And I want you to teach a bunch of guys what you've just learned. So then I'm sitting with him and 13 guys we started to invest in. But the funny thing is, is like, hey, I I land on the ground. Oh, by the way, you're you're preaching tomorrow. Oh, by the way, you're, you're teaching this next session. Oh, by the way, he just kept constantly taking me with him to men's retreats and other types of activities. And then just saying, hey, I need you to step up and lead at that capacity. So I'm in that grow phase. And then. Started, I just kept going upward. So at one point in time, God said, um, you're going to do this for the rest of your life. I want you to make disciples for the, I mean, just to do your work. So I began to step out of and transition out of the corporate world onto our church staff. And so it came. Uh, Craig hired me, stepped on the staff, and was over discipleship, all the disciple-making process for us. And that's really, we started Disciple first and started to do the growth series at that point. And then uh, two years later, Stayed on church staff and stepped into the executive role. And so, yeah, I've, I've watched this happen. The funny thing is I'm standing in the back of the room and I'm thinking about this. About a year into the corporate world, I could tell you what my trajectory was. I wanted to go from an outside salesperson to a store manager to a district manager to a regional vice president. And I'm thinking it's so sad that in the in the church world, so often we don't have a plan to move people to spiritual school, right? And we... You can do this. I mean, Glenn didn't lay this chart out for me and show me this is where I'm taking you. This is where I want you to be. And in, in seven or eight years, your life's going to look like this. That plan wasn't laid out for me, but I think it could be, right? I think that, hey, you have the capacity to leave this high level. You don't want to freak them out the first day you meet them. But that could be something that gets revealed to them over the course of time, and they get to see where God is moving in their life. So, very super fun. Very, very fun.
2: Great. Give Zach a
4: hand, all right?
2: All right, so what, what we're showing you here is not just theory. This is, there's a, a prime example of how this works. And Zach is a disciple-making leader. He really is. He leads by example. He makes disciples. He has the values, the mindset. Even in an operational role, he's just as passionate about disciple-making as I am. If I showed up next week and said, yeah, I'm going to do that making thing, he would probably throw me out of the building. And that's okay. Hopefully not through the window. And uh, so anyway, that's he is a disciple. That's what we want. That's the kind of leaders we want. Now, uh, that's not always the leaders we have. So let me show you two other variant uh, trajectories that we typically have in our church. The first one is... Oh, I would call this a L2. This is a leader. They've gone up the organizational pipeline, but they're not a disciple maker because they really haven't progressed beyond the connect phase. You see that? They haven't really progressed beyond the connect phase. So this person, they are a leader. They're really good at what they do, uh, but they are not uh, a disciple maker. And the ramifications of this, this is probably the majority of People on church staff right now. Unfortunately, uh, and this is where I was at one point, um, you know, this is, this is the person that, you know, they, um, you know, I, I think about my own life. You know, I grew up in a church, believing um, parents, gave my life to Christ, went through youth group, uh, went to a college, uh, felt called to ministry at that point, um, uh, went to seminary, uh, got on a church staff, began to serve, right? I'm just following what we normally do. But it wasn't until I was a lead pastor in my early 30s that I had three businessmen in our church. And these businessmen, one guy was a navigator. Uh, one guy was um, had written his own material that's now in 20 different languages all over the world, the disciple people. Another guy was with Christian Businessmen's Committee, CBMC, I think is what It's called And uh, these guys, I saw them discipling and training businessmen, and I and I asked them, "What are you doing? How do you do that?" And these guys began to train and invest in me. And here I am, their senior pastor, but they were showing me how to make disciples and training me to do it. And so, honestly, I was an L two leader, but I I was not a disciple making leader because I was not putting that in practice. I wasn't making disciples and I didn't have that value. I I wanted to, but I didn't understand it. And I think that's where most people are. I think most people are uh, many times in that L2. The ramification of this, though, can be very devastating for a church if you're led by L2s. One is, the great danger is that the ministry becomes a surrogate for your own walk with God, right? You're getting, you feel, well, I'm I'm doing good because I'm a pastor, right? And so everything's good and, and my because remember, the disciple leader flows out of the overflow of their own walk with God. And so that can be a real danger. A second danger is that you really, it's hard to lead by example, right? You can't tell other people to be disciple-makers and you're not being a disciple-maker. And so you may say those words, but you're not living that out and people see that. So you lose that moral authority, if you will, as leading by an example. Um, and lastly, you know, because of this, a lot of times these guys, because they're in those leadership positions and they don't have a multiplication mindset, they're not going to lead the church to multiply. They're not going to lead leaders underneath them to multiply. They're going to fall easily into the superstar mentality, especially if they're really good at it. And so uh, what what do you do if you are an L2 or you have people on your team that are L2s? And so let me just tell you another quick story. If, if Josh was here, he could tell a story. He's also uh, on our executive team. Josh oversees all of our outreach, uh, worship, uh, guest services departments. Josh was in L2 when he came on our team. This was several years ago. Uh, great leader, came from a big church. Does, you, know, Josh, you, you would love Josh if he was here. He's funny, he's engaging, everybody like, high likability. Uh, just a great, great dude. Um, but as as he got on our team, you know, he began to realize, man, I'm not really, I'm not really a disciple maker. I'm not really giving giving my life to investing in others. But he realized that that was something he needed. He realized that he needed to grow in this area, and so I asked Josh to be in a group with me, and he accepted that, eagerly accepted it. As a matter
3: of fact, he he wanted to grow.
2: In fact, he told me, my dad had been praying for me that I would grow as a disciple maker. And I believe this is God's provision. And so he, man, he took on that thing like a dog on a bone. I mean, you know, as we say in Texas, he he, he memorized the verses and he did all the work and he did all the internal stuff. And he began to grow as a disciple and had the vision and heart to grow as a disciple maker. And he began to submit to accountability and he started uh, uh, doing the work and then multiplying his own life in the lives of others. And as a result, I I would say that his L2 began to bend to where now he's an L1. He is a disciple making leader. He is leading out of the
4: overflow.
2: He is investing in others uh, for the purpose of raising up leaders. So he started off as an L2 and he bent down to an L1. If, you're, if you are a, um, an L2, or maybe you have people on your team that are L2s, um, what do they need to do? They need to get into some kind of discipling relationship. And they need to submit to uh, accountability uh, in their own life, to be teachable and coachable and eager and ready, and um, to enthusiastically share what you're learning and with others and to disciple others. Now, you may not be shocked by this, but I'm always shocked by this when i I encounter L2, and they're like, Well, I don't need that. I don't need that. You, you don't understand. I am awesome at what I do. You're lucky to have me on your team, right? Because I'm the best student pastor that I, I'm gonna pack, I'm the best kid, I'm the best whatever worship pastor, you know, nobody can do it like me and. But they're not willing to say, hey, I got to grow as a discipler, not just a great leader, but a disciple, I think I to be both. And uh, sometimes people bend quickly and easily and eagerly and thank you that you're investing in my life. And other people go, yeah, that's kind of your thing. It's not really my And uh, that becomes a problem. Right, Glenn? Yes. I'm just saying that because. <laughs> Uh, you know, some people bend easier than others. Now, the, the optimal thing to do is what? You don't raise a person into leadership until they progress down the pathway. That's the, that's the easiest thing to do. The more painful thing to do, is sometimes you hire an L2 because they're amazing at what they do, but they really don't have the disciple-making DNA. And then over the course of time, that begins to show itself. Because they can't lead by example that way. Now let me give you one one more because I know we're, we're yeah. So
3: it's probably an unfair question, but when,
2: if you can put a percent on uh, like yes. a percent of high would be into deal with RL2? Yes. A high percentage, 90 percent. Um, and again, you know, Maybe they never had anybody talk to them about the importance of discipling. You know, they just went to Bible college and they went to seminary and they got in church. In fact, I was, at, I was I had a, a dinner meeting with about five different pastors from my area. We were talking with the, with the guy that had come in town. And uh, I brought up a, the topic of disciple making. Shocker, right? I brought up this subject. And, uh, and so we all had this great discussion about it. And then after that group left, this one guy hung back. This guy is an amazing preacher, and this guy could preach me in the ground. I mean, he's just so funny and good and creative, and he's just super great. And he said, uh, he said hey, Craig, and he said, got a minute? I said, yeah. And he said, he said, you know, I went to Bible college, then I went to seminary, then I became a pastor. I was a youth pastor, then I became a pastor. I was a speaker. I was doing all this kind of stuff. But he said, you know, if you gave me a guy and said disciple him, he said, I would not know where to start. Mm -hmm. And number one, I just really appreciated his vulnerability and his honesty. You know, I mean, that takes a lot of courage to just say that, doesn't it? And so I just encourage, I just tried to affirm and say, listen, brother, you know, God's using you in such an incredible way. And you're not alone. I mean, that's the majority of it. I was right there. but You can grow in this area. And if you want, I can help you grow in this area. Uh, Because this will take you to the next level. You may be a great communicator, but if you're a great communicator and you were making disciples and multiplying leaders, wouldn't that then take what you're doing to the next level? Wouldn't you then multiply your ministry even at a higher level? See, that's the point. I think you've got to cast a vision to the L2. It's not that you're a bad person or that you've done something wrong. But but you you could even have greater impact if you would bend to being a disciple-making leader. You can move from here to here, and you can leave a lasting legacy. That, that's kind of how I cast that. You know, not in a shaming, bad-on-you way, but in a, man, you've got more that you could, you could do. You could have a greater impact. So... Yeah. so then there's this one last uh, this other option uh, and this uh, alternate trajectory and that is a disciple making uh, a disciple maker but not a leader right this is a disciple maker not a leader Uh, and this is a person that you know they've gone all the way down the, the pathway they're even multiplying they're investing their lives in others but they've never really risen beyond maybe a volunteer or maybe a maybe a team lead, but that's about it. Now, why would a person do that? Why do you, Why do you think a person might be a disciple maker, but never rise up in leadership? Why? They won't let go. They won't let go. Yeah, yeah. They've kind of got their own private ministry going on here, and they think, well, the church, you know, I'd, I I don't want to get involved in that, you know, because I'm doing my thing over here. That may be part of
3: it. Yeah. Romans twelve, eight, there's a the list of motivational gifts that we get And everybody don't have to give the leadership. Right. Yeah. Right. Teaching, mercy, giving. So right. to raise try to put somebody in the leadership position that's not gifted by like the spirit will yeah. frustrate other people yes. because they can't
2: yeah. Exactly. So maybe it's just not gifted there, or she's not gifted in that part.
4: Exactly. It's messy. Uh, and so we've had some people who, who have been the elbow leader, and they say, okay, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to go down to this where I just leave a small group of people, or I just mentor people, or I just. Right. But, but I don't want to be up here anymore.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But, much of our
4: discipleship them. training does not include
3: leadership at all. Right. Mm-hmm. We confuse reading the word and praying. Yeah. I mean, being followers of Christ, that statement implies following, but the leadership aspects where Jesus sends people out and equips them to lead, yeah. we a lot of times don't, we're not good at that aspect. No? Uh, that's true. That's true. Jason. because
1: he's a business person who's traveling a lot or just season a bike. Yeah. least he fits up the L3, you know, occasionally.
2: Totally. I mean we have we have some guys who are like oh you could do so much more but man, I'm slammed I'm doing you know eighty hours at the office or my kids are in a situation I, I don't have time.
3: I would say it's kind of complicated, but I'll just a cloud of something we can use to recognize that sometimes actually hold them All right. Now now you're
2: getting into chili because not only not recognizing them, but sometimes leaders can actually suppress these people. Because well, if they come up, then what? They're going to take my job, and they leave out of insecurity. Well, if well, if I like, I've, I've told this one guy, I said, "Hey, you need to be raising up somebody who can take your role." He was like, well, "Well, then what would I do?" You know. And so instead of thinking, "Well, I can multiply uh, these people," uh, they're almost threatened by these these kind of things. So there are a lot of reasons why a person could be down here at this level. Uh, I think that it, it could, any of those that you came up with are really good practical reasons why. Um, I think if a person is an L3 uh, and they are gifted to lead, good point, not everyone's gifted to lead, but if they are, you see leadership potential. I think it's important to try to
3: encourage
2: this person uh, to, to step into some greater capacities of leadership. I have had one guy that I love dearly, and he was an L3 and I tried to get him to step into areas of leadership because he's a disciple maker. He's living by example. He's out of the overflow. You're the kind of guy we want leading. And he just felt like, well, yeah, I'm not, you know, the church has got all this other stuff. I'm just going to do my private ministry over here. And I think that he, you know, he kind of robbed the church in a sense of his contribution that he could make or shorted the church of the contribution that he could have had. And the influence he could have had on multiple people within the church if he had risen up to those levels of leadership. And so I've seen some that have done that and others that didn't. Uh, but looking for those L3s is like the um, low-hanging fruit, right? I mean, if you've got an Arian L3, yeah, and if you can, if you can nurture these folks and if they have gifting to, to pull them up, that's probably the easiest it, it may be easier to raise an L3 than to bend an L2. It could be. Uh, but you just got to look for them, and you've got to be seeing them and, and working with them. Uh, okay, uh, Glenn, come give us some, uh, some of your thoughts here on this. What, what's the hardest part of an L2 becoming an L1? I kind of hinted about this a little earlier, but if you got an L2 on your hands, they're super good. They've jetted up the pipeline, super talented, but not quite a
1: leader. What's the hardest part in in, in, in bending them to an L1? Uh, it's the reprogramming of what they determine determined success to be. Because for the longest time, we've typically brought people onto the team or they're moving into that process. Uh, what we have found is, hey, Success has always come through these certain things. I've been gotten raises and bonuses and all of this in the church world. and now you're telling me I'm going to be defined from something completely different, and how I go about doing that uh, can be one of the greatest challenges, because it's, it's, and this other piece is, is, hey, when they're at L2, man, they get a lot of data boys. Uh, and so because if, when, when you're in L1. Uh, a lot of times you're work, as you're moving up the leadership pipeline I work a lot of what I do is behind the scenes which I I, I I mean I have upfront responsibilities and things like that the outward facing part but a lot of what I'm doing is internal leadership uh, and so it, it it just it just is a it's a it's the hard part is just the reframing what success is because they've been doing it for so long that it's a hard time reframing that that idea. And we, we've discovered that we have to do a really good job in terms of terminology, is to say, hey, this is our philosophy of ministry. Uh, are you in alignment with that yeah. philosophy of ministry? Because you're gonna be really frustrated, we're gonna be really frustrated, and we can help you, but if you aren't gonna get, into, if you're not in alignment to that, then we're gonna just keep running into a wall uh, over time, and it 's not going to work out and sometimes it doesn 't yeah. and we we have to help them begin to find other areas of of ministry and other pl- other places
2: we 're in the middle of a cohort with our staff because we have some new staff that 's come on um, explain a little bit about that and 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 what we're what the value of that
1: is as far as helping to clarify yeah so what, what we are, are going back to again is, hey, these are the, the basics of why we do what we do. that This reframing the win for our team constantly and regularly and uh, reminding them why we do what we do. Uh, and so uh, we, uh, again, we're just trying to remind them of the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? And, uh, and then how do we... Go about that in a way that's going to help that win to be to become a reality, and so this cohort is we're we're just we are right now moving our team again through the whole life and ministry of Jesus and walking in them out so they can see how Jesus was actually putting this into practice and then now can how can I help you as a coach leader in your life begin to implement those same strategies, practices? Uh, so that it's becoming a reality for you in your areas of ministry. So as for my team, we talk about this all the time. It's one of our key result areas, constantly looking at, you know, how are you raising up people who, and let's look at the number of people as you're raising up through the pipeline, as well as you're watching people and observing people through the pathway. Um, We're just, it's a, it's a constant conversation. And our one on my, all my one-on-ones with all my team, we're talking about this regularly and often. The more you talk about it, the more it's, you're in the language of what you do, the more opportunity you have for success, for the win. Great. Questions? Yeah. Uh, Michael, well, actually, I actually had two questions, but I'll get to one just in case there's not enough time. But as a, a younger man in ministry, I find a lot of times that when I have
3: conflict or have to have hard conversations. They're generally with people older than me. Mm-hmm.
1: And so aside from the example that Paul gives Timothy, what are some experiences that you guys have in relation to the people older than you and also what additional tips would you have for yeah. someone like
2: that? Well, I, I, questions? yeah, the, the question is, um, uh, how do you disciple someone older than you um, as a young leader? And I, I think that when you are a young leader, you're, you're going to have a lot of people that are older than you, right? Depends on how young you are, right? I've I found that even as a uh, in my 20s, I was giving oversight to uh, people that were older than me. Uh, we cannot equate your physical maturity with your spiritual maturity, right? There is no equation there. You can be very mature and be young. You can be very immature and be young, same being older. And so I think what you have to do is in just treating everyone with respect and love to invite people that, especially people that you're working with, uh, into a discipling relationship. You know, we believe that everybody deserves to be discipled, no matter what age they are. And everybody can grow, no matter what age they are. In in fact, they they may have a greater hunger, you know, uh, later in in their life. And so, uh, I think just the invitation, "Hey, I'm just going to start a group. I'd love for you to be a part of it," uh, may be a welcome invitation that nobody's given them. So, I would not uh, hesitate to disciple someone that's older than you. Um, We kind of tend to think we like when you're older. That's when you, you know, then you only disciple people younger. But that's not necessarily the case.
3: On that. Yeah. So part of that is, I think this, so I was talking to my
4: dad, after Glenn made an investment in the best of me, my dad started to get it change my life, hey, you're doing things different, the conversations we're having are different, what are you doing? And I said, you want to come and see. Thursday night, so I started to bring my house, God, my dad came and joined me to the guy that was my age, and now he puts me to shame coming to reinvest it. Right, so I think part of that is what Craig's saying is just begin to love on people and to show them, and what you're doing your daily life is going to attract them to you. And they're going to see
3: that in and then want to be a part of it.
2: Yeah, one more question. I
3: have uh, come kind of follow up on that. I, I minister in an in a area of Florida that's retired, the that average age is 71 years old. In my yeah. <laughs> I'm 62, and what I have found are those those guys, even at that stage in life, the ones who are at that stage and look back at their lives and say, you know, I could have done this, I could have done that, I could have done this better, will jump at the opportunity. My experience has been will jump at the opportunity when you come to them and, and ask them if they want to grow in their faith because they're looking at the time in their life where they got lost time to retire. In between now, there and they got the, the resources and experience, but they've never been had that opportunity. And, and just like anybody else at any other age who mm-hmm. spiritually wants to grow, whether you're at that age, in fact, I found that they are uh, with, with some of that baggage they bring, life experiences and, and things like that. They get it, and they know their time and fun is limited, and they pour a lot into that area of their life that they now to and become very open to,
2: regardless of what you're is, very open to, hey, show me what it's on All right, our time is, our time is up. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Um, we will be tackling, we're going to dive into in the next session, how did Jesus develop team leaders? So I'm going to take a, an example of what did Jesus do in raising these team leaders, how did he develop them? And uh, I think it's gonna be super helpful because uh, everybody's got some team leaders in your church. And so what did Jesus do?
1: So uh, just real quickly, uh, again, it's been great. I hope you uh, hope this has been helpful for you and we'd love to see you at our table. Uh, we love working with leaders just like you. This is why we do what we do. We do three things, we train, we coach, And we really work to resource leaders just like yourself. So if there's any way that we can help you in any of those three lanes, please let us know. Again, because we're just practitioners just like you trying to figure it out. Uh, And the guy that invested a lot in our lives used to say, we're just one beggar to another beggar trying to figure it out together. All right. So thank you again. And uh, we maybe look forward to seeing you at our next session in a little
0: while. Okay. At 11 o'clock. Thanks so much for listening to the episode today, everybody. Next up, we've got another episode featuring Disciple First. So if you haven't clicked the subscribe button, I would highly encourage that you would do that so that you know when I release those new episodes. All right, thanks for being a listener of the Disciple Makers podcast. And I hope that you have a blessed rest of your day. See ya.